Good morning. My name is Angela Ball. That's my husband, Tim. Um, today, I'm going to be reading from um, Acts 17. As usual, Paul went into the synagogue and on three Sabbath days reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving it that it was necessary for the Messiah to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Messiah. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was deeply distressed when he saw that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and with those who worship God, as well as in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also debated with him. Some said, what is this ignorant show-off trying to say? And others replied, he seems to be a preacher of foreign deities because Paul was telling the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. They took him and brought him to the Areopagus and said, may we learn about this new teaching you are presenting because what you say sounds strange to us and we want to know what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners residing there spent their time on nothing else but telling or hearing something new. I would like to offer a prayer today that is inspired by the writings of Henri Nguyen, a spiritual thinker and writer who wrote about the life of Jesus and the love of God in ways that have inspired countless people to trust God more fully. Please pray with me. Father God, thank you for the gift of your church. It is a communion of saints witnessing to the risen Christ that reaches to the far ends of the world and even farther. God, your church embraces people from long ago and far away. Your church is the immense community of men and women who through words and deeds have proclaimed and are proclaiming the lordship of your one and only son, Jesus. Thank you, God, for the gift of your church. Amen. It is awesome to be here today. And you know, when I look out here, I am touched by what I see. I see people of all different, going through all kinds of different things in your life. I look at Bruce and Dovey and I'm just thankful. I want you to know that our church family's been praying for you guys a lot. And I'm sure I'm going to miss somebody. Taylor, thanks for being here. Brian's in the hospital right now. These, uh, they did some work on his knee yesterday and uh, took care of an infection. I look out here and I see people who have gone through loss in the last year. Incredible. Incredible difficult time possibly. And yet we're looking at a new year. What an exciting time. Well, uh, speaking of a new year, Pastor Jim, today is his birthday. Isn't it fun to experience it all? And that's one of the greatest things about Grace Church is I believe we're a family and we do our best to be a family. And what's interesting about families is that we have our ups and downs and ups and downs and people sometimes go, oh, I'm not sure about that person or whatever, right? But I'm thankful for Grace Church that we can be together. You know, I really um, love Christmas, but to be honest with you, I'm over, I love gifts, let me say it this way, I really enjoy the gift part, 
but I'm tired of the shopping part. <laughs> you know, I was reminded of um, earlier, earlier this month, uh, Julie. By the way, I'm George Hill. I'm one of the pastors here. <laughs> Some of you might not know that yet. But um, Julie and I were shopping at, at a mall in Denver earlier for Christmas. And uh, all of a sudden, we, the mall was packed. And um, all of a sudden, Julie noticed that I wasn't next to her. So she called me up on the phone and goes, where in the world are you? Where are you? And I said to her, you remember that, right? Because we got engaged earlier this year. Let me say it that way, because if I have to remember the date, I'll never remember it. (laughs) But um, remember that jewelry store that we were in? up here when we were getting, right before we got engaged, and you saw that strand of pearls that you really liked a lot. In fact, you fell in love with those pearls, and I, I said, I'm really sorry, Julie, but I can't afford those right now. But uh, I, I could hear through the voice that she was kind of excited. Can't afford those right now, but here we are later on in the month. I said, I'm in the golf store right next to that jewelry store. Uh, Anyway, anyway. But there's something new about a fresh start, isn't it? Isn't there? Something about newness. I don't know about you, but I like thinking about a fresh start. And no matter how strange or awkward the previous year was, we can hit the reset button. I'm reminded in Philippians 3, verse 13, it says, tells us to forget what lies behind, but to strain towards what is ahead. So I want to invite you right now, whether you had the best year ever last year, whether it was a good year, or maybe it was a rough year, a terrible year of unmet expectations and disappointment, we are invited this morning to a God that sees you He knows you and cares for you. He loves you and he has determined that he's going to work something new in you and through this this new year so we can step into that excitement and great anticipation of a new year. Now, at the same time, while we do feel excitement about the new year, I wonder if there's also a secondary emotion we might be experiencing. Sure, there's this anticipation of the new year, but I wonder if there's also a little bit of disorientation. Because doesn't it feel like we've entered into kind of a new world? A new culture where things have changed in the last few years? The world is not what it once was. A news media outlet called Vox gave a report called 21 Charts that explain how the United States has been changing. I'm just going to talk about a couple or mention just a couple. Things like we are driving later now and less than ever before. I couldn't believe it, but I had to talk my oldest son into getting his license when he was a senior in high school. I'm going, what is wrong with you? (laughs) We're finding out that people are getting married later and later than ever before. The report also said that we are more polarized politically than ever before. This is the one that concerns me the most, that we are becoming less and less religious altogether as a society. 
You know, it's interesting, you didn't need data to figure that out, did you? You guys are experiencing that. It's happening, you're watching it happen. But what's interesting is that report came out in 2014. That was nine years ago. We've seen some of the most divisive things politically and socially in those nine years. But I believe that what we're experiencing in the last few years is this acceleration of what Vox reported in 2014. We for sure see this acceleration in the area of faith and religion. A peer research center 10 years ago, they gave a report saying that roughly 20% of Americans, or about one-fifth of our population, they identified as being non-religious. A 2020, a peer research gave us an updated report saying that this percentage has risen 10%, from 20% to 30%. What does this mean? It means that almost a third of our population currently does not claim any religious affiliation. The Gallup survey has reported last year that church membership in America, or those who say they belong to a certain local church, not even evangelical churches, that number fell below 50% for the first year in Gallup's history. So, we feel excitement and anticipation of the new year, and yet we also feel like we've entered into a new world, don't we? So the question I have for us this morning is, how do we navigate this? How do we move forward? How do we approach this? I don't know about you, but... About 15 years ago, I, I felt like I could share my belief system with anybody. My worldview, what I believed about the Bible, what you believed about how to have a relationship with God, what you believe about, a, about your Christian ethics and sexual morality. Nowadays, when you're out in the world, you may feel like you may be silenced or the, the word now is canceled if you talk about these things in public. You see, what I've discovered in the world we live in today, that the world, the world views and the belief systems of people out there still have not answered the deep questions, questions of identity, of meaning and purpose. So what is our path forward? Well, wherever you find yourself, I think you'll be super encouraged and find some clarity in this fascinating story that we find in the book of Acts. If you have your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 17. What I want to do is I want to set the stage for us really quick. And in our story, we see a man by the name of Paul, the Apostle Paul. And Paul, he experienced a radical conversion, and most of you know, know about this already, a radical conversion to Christianity. And the conversion was so radical that he loved Jesus so much that he devoted his life to going around and sharing the good news of Jesus. Well, when we parachute into this story in chapter 17, he is beginning his second trip in what is sometimes called his second missionary journey. Paul had shared the news of Jesus in surrounding cities in the northern part of ancient Greece. Some there were really agitated about what the the news that he was sharing with them. And so Paul's friends, they put him on a boat and sent him to Athens. When Paul arrived in Athens, he finds a city that is full 
of different worldviews and different belief systems, kind of like the world that we live in today. Before I read this passage, I want to tell you something about this passage. There's a word in here. Well, the truth is, when I was a little kid, I was terrified when people asked me to read Scripture. Because there was always a word in there, I'd go, there's not a chance I'm going to know how to say that word. Well, there's a word in here that I've written, I've practiced. It's called Areopagus. It's right here, Areopagus. So I just wanted to admit that. So if I say it wrong, don't throw anything, okay? But in Acts chapter 17, verses 16 through 19, it says this, While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was deeply distressed when he saw that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and with those who worshiped God, as well as in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also debated with him. Some said, what is this ignorant show-off trying to say? Others replied, he seems to be a preacher of foreign deities because he was telling the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. They brought Paul to the Areopagus and said, may we learn about this new teaching you are presenting? So here's what we find right at the beginning of this story, that Athens is an incredibly eclectic, diverse context with all sorts of wide range of ideas, belief systems, and worldviews. So let's talk for a minute about Athens. First, we read that the city was full of idols. Athens was full of idols. Historians would go on to say that Athens was incredibly religious, and it was a spiritual city. We would find in Athens countless temples, countless statues, all sorts of altars, dedicated to different gods and goddesses. We find that one Greek philosopher said it was just one great altar after one great sacrifice. One Roman writer said it was easier to find a god in Athens than even a human being. You see, people were very spiritual and superstitious, but they were so afraid that they would offend the wrong god. Athens was a city that was filled with idols. Second, in our text, we see also that there was a synagogue in Athens. So on top of all the different idols, you had those who believed in the Old Testament scriptures. They even had the Old Testament literature. The, um, they would gather weekly at the Sabbath, on the Sabbath, to read their sacred text and to share about their Creator, God. So what you have here is you have a whole mess of idols and those who had a deep, faith heritage, and they would go and worship at the synagogue. Thirdly, you have the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers. In other words, there were the other people who held different worldviews. Let's first talk about the Epicureans. The Epicureans were the party animals. They're the ones who had all the fun. They knew how to have a great time. They believed that the gods were transcended, transcended, far off, disinterested, that the world was created out of pure chance. There wasn't any judgment at the end of the day, so life really just boiled down to pleasure, happiness, and having fun. Their mindset was, for today we live because tomorrow we die. 
then you have the Stoics. Now, the Stoics were the exact opposite of the Epicureans. They were the rule followers and keepers. They were the ones with the tight upper lip. They were serious and they would be happy to blow the whistle on you. They believed in a pantheistic view of the world, that the gods were interwoven in every aspect of life. And so all of life, it was directed towards this great divine purpose. And so they said that the human duty was to align oneself with this purpose and self-discipline. To be honest with you, in the world today, they would be the ones that would find themselves, they would figure out a way to get on the HOA so they could tell you, these are the rules, these are the rules, and you can't have any music after seven. <laughs> Those were the Stoics. Sorry if you're on the HOA around here. <laughs> and so you have the Epicureans and the Stoics gathering where the intellectual leaders met at the Areopagus, and they debated constantly. So look again, Athens, a city full of idols, synagogue, philosophers, Epicureans, Stoics, that's their world. It kind of reminds us of the world we're living in today, doesn't it? We live in a world today with all sorts of different ideas. We live in a world where people believe that everyone should be able to pursue their own happiness, right? As long as we don't get in each other's way, we should be fine. We need to be a good person and mind our own business. And so in a real way, you and I also live in a place like Athens. So again, how do we navigate this new world? Well, I think we have a couple options that Paul had, and I think Paul really is our good example. One of Paul's options would be he could have squashed the culture. In other words, Paul could have looked at all the idols in Athens and said, oh my gosh, you guys are just terrible. This is just awful. I mean, he could have signed on to Facebook or, or whatever they are, the social media, Instagram, or he might have even written a letter to the Mountain Mail. Have you ever seen that? <laughs> and just blasted the culture. He'd say, you godless idolaters, you pagans, you don't even know the truth. How dare you? He could have uh, squashed the culture, but Paul doesn't do that. Paul doesn't squash the culture. A second thing he could have done is he could have sampled the culture. He could have said, you know what? I'm going to live my private, comfortable little life. You do you and I'm going to do me. And I'm just going to enjoy the benefits of this culture. I kind of picture Costco. You have all those little things that you, could, that you can pick and choose from, right? You could sample all of those. You see, Paul could have said, you know what, I haven't had my Bible lesson lately. I'm going to just go hang out at the synagogue for the day and just, just take it in. He could have sampled the culture, but he didn't do that. So Paul doesn't squash the culture and he doesn't sample the culture. Paul, I believe, does something even more beautiful. He seasoned the culture. He seasoned the culture. In other words, he engaged with others. He kindly and truthfully and wisely engaged with others so to flavor the world around him with the beauty of Jesus and the gospel message. So Paul didn't blast the culture. He did not withdraw from the culture. What he did was he built a bridge 
to the culture. He seasoned the culture around him with the gospel of Jesus. So how did he do this? This one's going to be a little bit radical and crazy, but what Paul did, it's really tough. Are you guys ready for this one? He talked with people. Paul talked with people. He had conversations with human beings, like words coming out of his mouth, like looking at people straight in the eyeballs. He would talk with people, and he had conversations with people. And you might be saying to yourself, I have conversations with people all the time. I talk with people. I talk with my coworkers and my neighbors. I even talk a lot of, to a lot of people. I post a lot of things about Jesus on social media. But I want you to hear this next sentence. It says, you didn't hear me say, talk at people. Paul talked with people. He connected with people. We have a tendency, me included, I have a tendency to talk at people versus with people. There's a book written by an MIT professor. She spent 30 years of, had 30 years of experience and research on digital culture. And in her book, the book is called Reclaiming Conversations. The thesis of this book is digital communication cannot accomplish what human interaction and human conversation can accomplish. That connection does not happen by talking at people, but connections happen when we talk with people. I don't know about you, but we are bombarded by social media right now, aren't we? And we have a tendency to just say what we want to say to talk at people versus engaging with people. This is exactly what Paul did. Luke, the author of Acts, goes out of his way in chapter 17 to show a wide range of how Paul tried to converse and talk with others around him. In this passage, Paul uses some fascinating words. It's things like, he reasoned. In Greek, it literally means to dialogue for the sake of argument. To dialogue for the sake of argument. To literally dialogue for conversation. Paul explained, he persuaded, he proclaimed, he entered into conversation with others. And when he did this, he seasoned the culture with the gospel. So how did Paul talk to people? What was the skills that he used to talk to people? I believe that what Paul did was he listened to understand and then spoke to be understood. Hear that phrase again. He listened to understand and, he sp- and then he spoke to be understood. Oftentimes when I'm meeting with couples and talking about how to, you know, in, in, uh, helping them communicate with each other, we use this phrase. Are you picking up on it a little bit? That we listen to understand and then speak to be understood. You see, Paul understood the worldview of the people he was talking to. He didn't assume a certain stereotype of the people he was talking to. He wasn't building in his mind strong arguments against their worldview. He understood the heart concern of the people that he was talking to. And yet at the same time, he also spoke in a way using language, illustrations, concepts that the people understood. Then they began to receive the message. It's fascinating, when I was writing this message out, I thought about people in our congregation who are excellent at this. One sitting right here is uh, 
Nancy LaCroix. If you're around Nancy, she never talks about herself, does she? She, gets, she engages with you. She listens to you. She listens to about what the challenges that are going on in your life. I could say that about a lot of people out there, but she's sitting right there next to Jim, and she can't fire me. No. <laughs> um, so, Paul spoke out of his understanding of others, and then he spoke to be understood. And we see an example of this in two places that we read earlier that Paul visited in the city of Athens. First, the synagogue. When Paul went to the synagogue, here is what he understood about the synagogue worshipers. He understood their heart. He understood what they longed for was a Savior, the promised Messiah of the Old Testament. He also understood that they believed in sacred literature, namely the Old Testament scriptures. So out of, under, out of that understanding, what did Paul do? Let's look at the beginning of chapter 17 in verse 2 and 3. It says this, As usual, as usual, Paul went into the synagogue and on three Sabbath days reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Messiah to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Messiah. So this is what we see Paul doing. He reasoned in the synagogue on the Sabbath from the Scripture regarding the Savior. He reasoned in the synagogue on the Sabbath from the Scripture regarding the Savior. So why would he do this? Because he understood who they were. He was listening to them. He knew what they were like. He knew their heart issues. And he began to speak to be understood. But notice, when he goes to the Areopagus, which was filled with the intellectual elites, he understood their heart. He knew that they weren't even talking about a Savior, even if they longed for one, even if they desired one. He understood that they were confused with their superstitions. So out of that understanding, look how Paul demonstrates this in verse 22. Paul stood in the middle of the Areopagus and said, people of Athens, I see that you are extremely religious in every aspect. For as I was passing through and observing the objects of your worship, I even found an altar on which, which, on which was inscribed to an unknown God. You see, Paul understands the anxiety, their superstitions, their desire not to offend any deity out there, because they had no idea what the gods even wanted from them. They were confused. Paul understood that, so Paul communicated to be understood. You see, in a loving way, Paul first establishes a connection by building a bridge to talk about their creator, God, to give clarity and meaning, and then he can walk across that bridge of connection and talk and give clarity about the good news of Jesus Christ. Paul talked to them out of understanding who they were to be, who they were to be understood. And in doing this, he seasoned the culture with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul would go on to say in Colossians chapter 4, verses 5 and 6, he says, Act wisely toward outsiders, making the most of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt 
so that you may know how you should answer each person. Isn't this what Jesus asks of us? Aren't we the salt of the earth? To season the culture around us with the flavoring and beauty of Jesus and the message of the gospel. Up until this point, we've been talking all about Paul and what he did. Now we're going to transition a little bit and ask the question, now how do, what do we do? How do we do this? How do we season the culture around us with the gospel? First of all, I'd like to get a little practical here. I want you to know that I'm going to talk about two things here. And this isn't what I'm talking to you about is not a list, a to-do list of one, two, three, four, or A, B, C, D. And when you do that, then you'll be seasoning the culture. The next couple of things I'm going to talk to you about are, are things of your lifestyle. Things that will, as you begin to practice these things, it'll be, begin to be a part of who you are, and then you'll begin to season the culture with the gospel. The first is to live with curiosity. Pastor Matthew talked about how to do this in one of his messages in Romans. I'd talk about how far back it was, but I can't even remember how far back it was. But he's, he talks about it's important for us to be curious, to be curious about what we read in Scripture, to ask questions. Isn't it so easy in our day to make quick judgments about someone if we know someone who believes something different than what we believe? And we're so quick to judge, right? We're quick to put them in the box and say, I know all about what they're thinking. I know everything. But I think that we need to be more curious Curiosity is really good, and maybe I, may I be so bold even to say that it's a godly thing. Why? Because curiosity requires humility. When we admit that I don't know everything, I don't know everything about everything, and I need to learn, and I want to learn. But not only does curiosity require humility, curiosity means that we care. We care enough to learn. We care enough to ask, to ask questions. We care enough to engage with someone and to truly understand and learn the concerns of their heart. In fact, to not be curious may hurt us in the end. We see an example of this in the epic show called, I don't know if you've ever seen this show, it's called Ted Lasso, where Rupert, the antagonistic of the show, he challenges Ted to an epic game of darts with a big bet on the line in the middle of the pub. In this scene, in this moment, Ted drops one of the greatest lines, I believe, in the whole show. He said, this is Ted, one day I was driving my little boy to school and he saw this quote by Walt Whitman. And painted on the wall, it said, be curious, not judgmental. And I like that. So I get back in my car and I'm driving to work and all of a sudden it hit me. All those fellows that used, to, that used to belittle me, not a single one of them were curious. They thought they had everything all figured out. So they judged everything and everyone and I realized they underestimated me. Who I was had nothing to do with it. Because if they were curious, they could have asked questions. Questions like, have you ever played a lot of darts, Ted? Which I would have replied, yes, sir. Every Sunday afternoon at a sports bar with my father. 
And Ted picks up his dart, and boom, he scores the winning throw. Only if Rupert had been curious, he would have known that Ted was really great at darts. You see, Paul, the apostle, was curious, wasn't he? We find Paul so curious, he's engaged in conversation with all the religious leaders, the people at the synagogue, the common Athenian at the city square, and with philosophers at the Arab. See, there it went, Areopagus. Paul knew so much from his own education, he, but he was, Paul was so smart, you guys, but he was a curious man and humble, and he cared about others. You may be saying to yourself, there's no way I'm going to understand all the worldviews out there and all the belief system. It's just too overwhelming to understand what they all are. But you know what's so great? You don't need to know it all. The goal is to care about the person right in front of you. I want to say that one more time. Hope you catch this. If there's only one thing you catch all day, I hope this is the one. The goal is to care about the person right in front of you. So live with curiosity towards others. Second thing would be to live under the care of Scripture. Do you know why this is so important? Why this is so good for us? Because when we open our Bibles, we get an incredible gift. We get God's perspective on what is real. We get God's perspective on the world and what is going on in the world. We get God's perspective on you and me and on what's important, what brings us meaning, what brings us identity, our purpose in life. You see, when we open the Bible, we get the most accurate view of reality. We get to see things as they truly are because God sees and He knows what's best. If you're around Pastor Matthew for very long at all, you will realize that he doesn't talk like the Bible is an outdated book with zero relevance. It is God's perspective. It is the most relevant thing that you and I can read today. And here's the good news. This means that when you and I, whatever's going on in our life, we can open up our Bibles and get the most real picture of reality. That God sees us. This is one of the best parts. That God sees us. He's with us and we are not alone. And he, that He cares about us. You guys, opening Scripture is so, so important. Some of you know that a couple of years ago I went through a crazy bout of anxiety. And one of the things that made so much meaning to me was when I would open my Bible and read some Scripture. One of the verses that I talked about, that I've read over and over and over was this, Philippians 4, 6 and 7. It says, don't worry about anything, but in everything through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. This is a guy who's laying on bed thinking to himself, God, do you remember me? Do you even remember my name? George Hill, I've lived my whole life for you. And right now I feel like I'm not even, you know, where are you at? But I went to God's word, which I knew was true. 
And I began to read this verse over and over and over and again. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That's what happens when you open Scripture. It's relevant. During this time, I went to my counselor, and, she, and he asked me if I had any verses that I related to when I was dealing with this anxiety. I quoted Isaiah 41.10. I would say it like this. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will hold you with my righteous right hand. And he looked right at me and goes, why did you say that so fast? It's crazy. So I had to slow down with him. And I said, so do not fear. These are God's words to me. He says, so do not fear, for I am with you. How many of you need those words today? For I am with you. Um, it was fascinating when I began to read that slower and, and really resonate with what that was meaning and what that was saying. I realized that all over Scripture, you're going to read words and hear, for I am with you, that God is with us. How many times do you feel alone and need to be reassured that God is with you? So the Bible is so important. 2 Timothy 3.16, what I think is fascinating is that our Bible becomes a tool for us. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So that the man or woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Do you want to be equipped for good work? Then get into God's Word. Why do we think that we can be equipped if, we don't, if we're not reading God's Word, knowing what He wants for us? So read the Bible. You know what? It's the beginning of a new year. It's a great time to start. If, you're not, if you don't already have a Bible plan that you're reading, talk to one of the pastors or one of the elders. They'll be glad. They'd be thrilled to help you understand what it looks like. If you're just starting to read the Bible and you're going to read through the Bible in a year, I want to encourage you to please do not stop at Leviticus. <laughs> just plow, plow through it, please. Do whatever you got to do. But read the Bible. So live with curiosity towards others and live under the care of scriptures. And in doing this, you will season the culture around you with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So there's the answer. Live with curiosity towards others and live under the care of scriptures. And doing this, you will season the culture around you with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So what happened with Paul and what happened with Athens? If you look at the end of chapter 17, it says, Some wanted to hear more. Others thought Paul was crazy. But it also says that some believed. This is what you're going to experience in your, our culture today. Some will want to hear more. Some will ask more questions. Some will ridicule you and think you're crazy. And some will believe. Some will believe. Is that too much to endure? When we think about everything that God went, that what Jesus went through for us, is that too much to ask? When we think about what Jesus did for us on the cross, is this too much to ask? So let's learn to season the culture with the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
Let's pray. Lord, we believe God is beginning to do something new in this culture we live in. We really don't know what it is yet, but we do trust you with the future and that you will show us what to do, how to season the culture around us. But here's what I do know, that you are the one who makes all things new and you are the one who makes us new creations. I'm asking that you would do a new work in us through you for the benefit and for the good of this new world for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.